can't get enough HDR? Now you can sign up to become an HDR VIP on our website and have access to more radio stations. For $10 a month or $100 a year, you will have access to 20 of our stations on the website. For more information, visit HolyGhostRadio.com or tap on the ad on our app. In the house of God again, as has already been mentioned by Bishop, we welcome you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter number 4. I want to read in Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 30. I want to read one passage of scripture there. We will be coming back to this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, but we'll use verse number 30 to launch from tonight. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. If you're there, say amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Grieve not the Holy Ghost. There's some things in this particular section or passage or context of Scripture in which that resonates. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Grieve not the Holy Ghost. And I want to uh, continue tonight. I want to speak about another chimera that is not seen. I promise I won't stay on this too long, but these are things that really, really, really can be a benefit and help to you. The last service we talked about guilt and Bishop was not here and he came and confirmed that. I, you know, I, I believe, I don't believe that anything is happenstance. Many times the service goes by and people say something, a song is sung. That's why it's important to pray prayerfully about what you're going to sing. And it all lines up. It, it all fits together. And uh, it either will come before the preaching, many times it will come after the preaching. And so Bishop was not here on Thursday night, but Sunday morning he summarized everything that we said Thursday night. I believe that is a confirmation. Guilt says something. What does it say? I owe you. And how do you destroy and kill that monster? It's in repentance. It's in repentance. It's in a confession tied to a repentance. Amen. Tonight I want to speak about a monster called anger. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. Let me just take a moment to say Jeremiah chapter 17 verse number 9 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it there are things that get lodged there there's shrapnel that gets lodged in the heart based on circumstances in life and life many times is not fair and so it is possible to present a public performance that is not in line with where you are in your heart And those things cannot be allowed to stay there or they will defile and they will destroy. And there is a dynamic that is associated with some of these things that gets lodged there. There is a debt-to-debtor relationship. Guilt says, I owe you. And so many times when guilt is driving you, you will do things to try to work it off, pay it off, You'll do a lot of things because you are under the umbrella of a voice that tells you you owe. And so there is a dynamic. There's an imbalance. And the devil tries to find out what those imbalances are. And then he uses them as leverage. And we've been talking about these chimera. I only use the word chimera because it is just simply another term of monster. And I kind of like the way it sounds. And last week, I showed you a picture of it. Brother Barrick, if you could slip over there and show Dustin where that is and throw that up there again, if you would. And so last Thursday night, we talked about a monster of guilt. Guilt says, I, I owe you. I owe you. And it can become a heavy, heavy 
burden and a weight. But there is a way to kill that. There is a way to destroy that. And that is through a confession. Now, not a confession that the Christian world follows. Because a confession is not simply worldly sorrow. But a confession that is tied to repentance. If, if, if you get into the habit of just confessing and it's not linked to repentance, there's going to be a habit that leads you far from God rather than bringing you to God. Because you'll get in a habit of just confessing and saying, I'm sorry, but you're never changing anything. And God desires that we not only confess, but that we repent. And remember, repentance is tied to something in the Old Testament. It is tied to paying back. In other words, I am going to give back. I'm going to respond in a way that not only pays back what I defrauded, but then some. That's the attitude of repentance, that that you turn away from what you're doing. It is a 180 turnaround, and it is going the other direction. And God calls us to that kind of repentance and that kind of change. So if you want to kill guilt, there has to be something that says, I'm more than that. just I'm sorry. There has to be something that says I'm sorry and I'm going a different direction and this thing is not going to rule over me. There's an action attached to the confession. Our world is so caught up in confessing but nobody wants to change. In an apostolic church, there has to be something within us that says, we are here tonight, tonight. I came to church tonight because I want God to change me. I want him to shape me and mold me. He said, well, I don't like change. Well, when it comes to this, you'd better understand. You have to change every... Paul said, I die daily. Why? Because Paul knew the master needed to step in and tweak some things every single day. I can't let anything get lodged in my heart that would keep me from becoming what God wants me to become. And so I'm going to repent every single day and make sure that my confession is tied to the attitude that I want to be changed. I want to closer to him. I'm striving for that. Hallelujah. Well, I don't want to change. Well, then you'll sit on a pew and it's possible that you could be lost because God can't do anything with you. And so, these monsters, this is a, this is a chimera. This is in the imagination of somebody. This was the scariest thing that they could come up with. A three-headed beast that is hard to even describe with a snake for a tail. Thank you very much. You can drop that. So this, tonight, this, this monster is a monster of anger. <clears throat> Guilt says what? I owe you. Anger says, you owe me. You walk around with a chimera on your shoulders that constantly tells you if it's guilt, it will say to you, everyone you rub up against, I owe you, 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 I owe you. And so... I'm supposed to be moving on, but I just feel like this in the spirit because it's possible that you weren't here last Thursday night. But if your difficulty is you can't get your head up because there is guilt associated with everything that you do, understand that you kill the monster by a confession and a repentance that says, I'm going to do what is right. And when you start doing what is right, then there's no room for guilt. But if you're not doing what is right, then guilt constantly stays there and says, I've got leverage on you. You're not going anywhere in the kingdom of God because you're not doing what is right. But if only you would listen to a preacher and say, I'm going to do what is right, you can get that thing off of you and live for God. I got to move on. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Anger, anger, anger says, you owe me. I want you to look at me and I want you to say like I'm saying to you, you owe me. We get angry when we don't get what we want. Stop and think about it. We are conditioned from a very early age. Our human nature comes out. I've got a little picture 
well, it's actually not mine, but it's attached to Amy Doty's file cabinet in the office. And it's a picture of my daughter who has something, and Mason is standing there, and he's at the ready. <laughs> he wants to grab it. And she's looking at him over his shoulder like, this is mine, and don't you dare think about it. We get angry when we don't get what we want. A child who does not get what they want, they get angry. We want what we want may include what we think we deserve. And so there is, there is a, there is a monster. There's a chimera of anger that gets lodged into a heart. Stop and think about this. The illustration of the abandoned family. I told you, when, when a family splits up and, and fragments, the ramifications of that spin almost out of control. And the kid that has lost his dad, he, the dad feels like he owes the child and so he'll try to do whatever he can and he'll never, it, it, he'll never, he'll never win because guilt constantly drives him. Stop and think about this one. The abandoned family, the people that have been abandoned have some, usually have some anger issues. Now, what I'm talking about here is not pie in the sky stuff. This is where the rubber meets the road. Because in every single one of our lives, we come from situations where we have hurts. And, and what I'm trying to do in, in this series is to help you understand how you get over those things. How do you get over guilt? You confess and repent and do what's right. When anger comes into play, something was taken from me and I'm owed something. The dad that walks away, the mom that walks away, the dysfunction in a family. There is anger that gets lodged and somebody owes. And what if the dad convinces the kids that mom's the problem? Now there's, now there's a different, a completely different dynamic where ain't, now they both owe. And so there is a debt to debt relationship. And an angry person is a hurt person. You took my reputation. You stole my family. You took the best years of my life. You robbed me of my purity. You owe me a raise. You owe me the opportunity to try. You owe me a second chance. See how anger works? Anger gets lodged. And here's the irony. The debt, there's always a debt to debt a relationship. The debt of anger can never be paid. You tell me, in the abandoned family illustration, how's that dad ever going to pay the child? What kind of money is he going to be able to give? There's no monetary value. You, you can't pay it back. It's, it's, it's too big. So somebody owes. How do you pay 12 years to a 24-year-old of not having a dad? You know, come to think of it, I could have some major anger issues because I didn't have a dad from the age of two. How are you going to pay for that? The anger remains and then it intensifies and it refuses to remain isolated or focused and pretty soon everybody owes me. Ever ever met anybody like this? There's some very, very, very hurt people. You start digging a little bit under the surface of what they present, this stuff comes pouring out. Something happened to me. Somebody did me wrong. I was caught up in a situation somewhere else at another amount of time. And this stuff starts coming out because it's way down deep in there. And everybody now owes me. You look at the scripture, you can see an example of this in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 30 of an individual who battled this particular monster called anger. And his name was Saul. Saul is with his son, Jonathan, in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse number 30 through 34. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto him, 
thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman. Do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now sin and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. Jonathan answered Saul's father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. Saul had some. Now there were two types of anger displayed in this passage of scripture. Jonathan was angry momentarily from the emotion of the confrontation. Saul's anger was much deeper than just a confrontation. Saul's anger was something that got way down deep in there that he thought about continually that ate him alive. Till he was so much so that he cast a javelin at his own son. These these monsters, these chimera, they cannot withstand the light of exposure because bringing it out into the open would mean losing the excuse to stay angry. That monster of guilt, it doesn't want to be exposed because what will people think and, and all of this kind of stuff and... And, and, and so these, these monsters love secrecy. They don't want illumination on what the problem is. And in this case, they want to withstand the light of exposure. On the other hand, maybe you want to tell your story because it explains and justifies your behavior. It's your crutch. Well, my problem is, and the reason I act the way that I act is because back when I was two, my father, he did something and, and so it caused me a lot of pain. And so the reason why I blow up on people and get upset and angry has to do with my father. It becomes a, it becomes an excuse. It becomes a crutch. Well, I'll use my anger as leverage to get things accomplished. It'll make me a better leader if I'm angry sometimes. It'll make me strong and more successful. And it gives me some energy. And, but in fact, the people that are forced to interact with you see it as a weakness. They see it as a sickness. And those close to you end up being the people that ends up paying. Because why? There's something in my heart that just, it's festering there. It becomes a monster that, that controls me. And so where guilt says, I owe you, anger says, you owe me. It becomes the chip on the shoulder. It becomes the attitude. I'm justified in doing what I'm doing, even if it's not right, because I'm owed, and everybody owes me. How in the world do you, do you destroy that? How do you destroy that? You destroy it by, you ready? You destroy it by forgiveness. There's a lot of confusion about forgiveness, though. There's usually three groups. There's a group that needs to forgive but can't. There's a group that refuses to let the offender off the hook. You're going to owe me for the rest of your life. And you know what? That attitude right there will probably destroy you. You'll self-destruct because that will eat you alive. And three... The group that allows old feelings to come back. I want to talk about these three here. Paul, in Ephesians chapter number 4, verse 25, seems to make something that it seems unreasonable. I want you to look at this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. I want to read all of this because 
I want to address these three groups of people and how you kill and destroy anger. Because you know what? The fact of the matter is, just in case, just in case, you're sitting there all smug saying, I don't have any anger. You better be careful because every single one of us goes through situations in life and we have causes and evidence to be angry. Every single one of us. And so Paul makes the statement, chapter 4, verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, verse 26 says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Verse 30 is what we read. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now here it is. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now there's two types of anger that are described in this passage of scripture. Verse number 26 talks about an anger that is not sinful. Be angry and sin not. It's not rage. It's not hostility. But it's anger that precedes rage and hostility. Anger is an emotion that can work in your benefit because we're emotional people. And sometimes there are things that Brother Raymond mentioned tonight that makes him angry. When somebody uses the name of the Lord in vain. There are situations when you should be angry. But the scripture and the impetus of the scripture is that you should be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath or don't harbor and control and give place to the devil by letting it build up something in your spirit. There's a proper, there's a proper anger. Just with any other emotion, there are proper emotions. But if you feed some emotions too much, they can lead to problems. Does that make sense? So it's okay to be angry when there is an injustice. Because somebody may need to be confronted with the fact that you have created or done an injustice. And therefore, I'm angry. I'm, I'm, I'm showing that emotion. But the scripture said, don't dwell on that to the point of it becoming a heart problem that gives place to the devil so that he can leverage you. It's an anger that you should express and release. I need to say that again. There's a proper anger that is expressed and Released, you release it. See, it doesn't, it goes outward, it doesn't go inward. But verse 31 says, There is an anger that is smoldering, it is held, it is held in resentments, and it is explosive, and it is a violent wrath that comes inward and affects the spirit and it affects the heart. It's not, it's not released, but it comes in and it sits there. And Paul said, you have to get rid of it. How do you do that? You remove or you separate yourself from it. Have, I love this illustration. Have you ever watched somebody walking down the street and walk right into a spider web? It's a great scenario. Uh, what are you trying to do? It's not that you're having a mental breakdown right there on the sidewalk or walking to your truck or your car. It's that <laughs> the feeling that wraps itself around you. Sometimes you may just drop everything to try to get it off of you. Paul's saying the same thing. Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. You've got to put that away from you. You have to separate yourself from it because if it comes within and it develops within, you're going to have some difficulties in your life. There is going to be a monster that will control you. He said, let all, everybody say all. He said, let all bitterness, let all rage, let all anger, let all brawling, let all slander and malice or general ill will toward others. Paul is saying this has to be removed from you. You have to remove yourself from it. 
Now you could be sitting there tonight saying, who is Paul to tell me 2,000 years removed from my life what to do with my anger? You haven't heard my side of the story. Well, if I listen to you long enough, you probably have a convincing case. Probably so much so that I would be tempted to join in your crusade of whatever it is you're going to do and harbor and hold in resentment. But wait a minute. Let's examine just for a minute. Paul is writing from a prison cell. From what I've studied and find. Arrested unjustly. Extradited to Rome, a place that is not favorable to Christians, is held there for more than a year and a half awaiting trial. And Paul is writing and he is saying, let all bitterness and let all rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice be separated from you. You've got to separate yourself from almost sounds unrealistic, doesn't it? I mean, when you've experienced hurt and rejection and criticism and stuff not going your way, it leaves you feeling like a victim, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And a victim usually has a short fuse and lashes out and is powerless and a victim has no control over their lives and a victim is at the mercy of others and a victim only reacts and a victim, these things, all of these things fuel our justification and our excuses and this mentality gives us the wrong sense of right and it's a lie. Victims are not proactive about changing. They want to make sure the person who hurts them pays. And so this is where, this is where, this is where the door opens for bitterness. And bitterness will stand at the doorway of your heart like a sentry, watching every little thing that's trying to get in. Well, who are you? I'm the anointing of God. Well, you can't enter in here because I'm bitterness. And bitterness says you can't enter. So God moves in powerful ways but never gets inside because there's a sentry standing there called bitterness who was fed by anger. Bitterness and anger are real close together. You won't find bitterness without some anger. Stands as a sentry. Constant reminder. What is he standing there for? You can't enter here. Who are you? I'm the power and anointing of the preached word of God. Can't enter here. Somebody pays. Who are you trying to get in? I'm the anointing during a powerful service where worship is being felt in a powerful way and people are being filled with the Holy Ghost. You can't enter here. Somebody has to pay. Somebody pays. Everybody pays. And then Paul in his writing gives to us the key. Verse 32. He gives to us the key. He says, Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. In other words, you should extend kindness and compassion. And then here's our word, forgiveness. It's the means, according to Paul, by which you remove the cobwebs. And what are the cobwebs? All of the bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice, and ill will. Paul says the way that you remove that stuff off of you is by, and he gives us this word, forgiveness. Forgiving one another. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is what separates you from the stuff that would try to destroy you. And so he extends to us a key. And at the same time, he anchors us to something and gives us no wiggle room. See, I wish you could block some of that off, but you can't. So... 
just read, if you will, up to half of that and act as if you don't see the other half. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. If it stopped there and you didn't see the other part of the verse, we would still be able to justify why I'm not going to forgive. Well, they may not even know they need to be forgiven. And so I could justify what they've done and, and so on and so forth. But Paul anchors us to something that I can't, I can't wiggle out of. There's no, there's no wriggle room when he says, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. There's no wiggle room there. This is not just any kind of forgiveness then that Paul is talking about. This is the kind that God through Christ extended to us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly, which means you and which means me. This is something that has huge ramifications. Say, whoa, you got me reeling now. What does Jesus say about it? Maybe if you could wiggle out of Paul's world and get into Jesus' world, maybe Jesus will give you something to kind of hang just a little bit on to so that I can hang on to what it is. So can, can we leave Paul? Can, can, I see what he's saying, but what does Jesus say? Because certainly doesn't Jesus supersede and preempt Paul? Well, if you believe that the word of God is the word of God and it's coming from God, no. But for the sake of the lesson tonight, let's, let's, let's go to what Jesus does say. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. What is it that anger says? What is it that anger says? You owe me. Let me just make sure I'm on the right track here today. Has anybody ever been hurt, offended, or had something in your life that really, really... Raise your hand if you have. Okay, I can see some of you haven't raised your hand. And those of you that did not raise your hand, you need to be the first ones down here to the altar to repent. I want to see you down here, the first ones... Because you're not being honest. (laughs) Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Look at this. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? I mean, Peter's been, he's willing to stretch a little here. Peter is. He's been walking around with Jesus, seeing how powerful Jesus, doing all of these things. And so Peter's stretching a little bit. How many times should I forgive my brother? Well, uh, 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 seven times? I mean, Peter's probably moved from one or two. One or two is acceptable, but, but now he's really listening to Jesus' teaching and he's making the step to seven. And Jesus responds to him and says, verse 22, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And then Jesus, I mean, that uh, poor Peter probably just wilted right there. Probably trying to wrap his brain around. 70 times? 7? And Jesus gives, he gives an illustration here that is so very powerful. He says, verse 23, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made, which is rightfully so under ancient law. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, patience with me and I will pay thee all. Now, what did I tell you about the debt that is owed? Can it be paid? Can it? 
No. How are you going to pay for that? For those of you that have come from backgrounds and situations where there has been tremendous chaos, what would somebody give you monetarily to recapture that? Uh, some of these court cases where somebody is, is hurt, maimed, killed, and they've got a, can you imagine the, the, the difficulty of trying to, trying to say, well, this amount of money is fair enough for what was lost or what was done? How, how do you, how do you, what kind of, what amount of money are you going to give me for the loss of the child that I just lost? You can't pay that. You can't, you can't pay it. But this particular man, he said, he said, I will pay thee all. Now that's important. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not. But he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So basically what he did is he said, I'm going to put you in prison and make your family pay. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Now, Jesus eliminates the mystery of forgiveness. Right here in this passage of scripture. Not some mystery. It's not some mystical thing. He eliminates it. And here it is. Forgiveness is the decision to cancel a debt. What is it that anger says? You owe me. Forgiveness is the decision. I didn't say feeling. Careful, careful. That's a misunderstanding. Well, I said that I'm sorry, but I still have these feelings. Does that mean I'm not sorry? That's not what forgiveness is. Not according to what Jesus says right here. What does Jesus say? Jesus is very clear that forgiveness is the decision to cancel a debt. Remember, anger says you owe me. Wherever there's hurt, there's a theft. There's an imbalance. There's a debt. There's a transaction that must be returned to the one who is owed. You owe me an apology. You owe me favor. You owe me money. You owe me restitution. Now, the way Jesus sets this up is amazing. Because some of these things work themselves out because all it takes is an apology. Sometimes people don't apologize. Look at what happens here in this passage of Scripture. This first man owes 10,000 talents. Now, I did some weights and measures in a study Bible to determine exactly what the first man owed. And it is so exaggerated that it will be completely missed. Jesus is setting this up because this guy, even though he said, I'll pay it all, could never have paid it all. 10,000 talents is about 150,000 years wages if you base it on one talent and then you walk through all of that in, in modern California wages, this comes from a study by 150,000 years wages is 2.25, 2 billion, dollars. This man, I don't know what he did and maybe Jesus put it in there just as an extract, an exaggeration. 
Maybe it was not tied to an actual debt, but Jesus was giving a parable uh, showing that there's no way this man could have ever, ever, ever paid this debt, even though he said, I can do it. And he was forgiven. The essence of forgiveness is to cancel the debt that cannot be paid. Watch what the servant does. The servant goes back to somebody that owes him. And based on weights and measures, what is owed him is about $2,000 in modern times that could be worked off and could be resolved, but he has none of it and throws the man in prison and demands that his family pay the debt. Now... The servant is in the same position and the payback is reasonable. It can be done, but he doesn't allow for it. And Jesus says, now, this is a major whoa, Nelly, in Scripture to me. Jesus says in verse number 35, I want you to put this up because this is extremely important. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespass. What, what, was the, what was the part before that in verse 34? The Lord was wroth, delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him and said, so likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. In other words, this is what Jesus is saying in this particular passage. Cancel your debt, forgive them, or else. Now, to me, that is a scary proposition. What Jesus seems to be saying is, if you won't cancel the debt, when I've forgiven you, then I'm coming after you. And your attitude and your heart will be tormented because you refuse to cancel the debt. You refuse to put a dagger into anger that says, I'm going to take this as far as I can. That is an extremely scary proposition to me. God knows when we cancel the debt, we free ourselves And if we don't, we pay dearly. No, I'm going to hang on to this. I'm going to hang on. I want this leverage. I want all this stuff. You know what? You're not doing yourself a favor at all. You are actually self-destructing. You'll fall underneath the chimera of anger that controls you and dictates to you. And God knows the only way to get that thing off of you is to cancel the debt and say, you don't owe me. I'm free from that. I don't have to follow that anymore. I'm free. Your pain is not a trophy to show off. It's not a story to tell. It's a poison to your soul. And to choose not to forgive is to self-destruct. This, this passage of scripture is scary to me. If I don't cancel, the, and I harbor that, that I'm just like the wicked servant that was forgiven a debt that could not be paid and looked at the man that owed me little and say, I'm not forgiving you. You are going to prison and you will stay there until you can pay your debt. That the master will come after me with the same anger. Now, I'm sure Peter is standing here. He's absorbing all of this. And I'm sure that Peter absorbs this in the shadow of the cross. 
when he realizes what Jesus Christ has accomplished and has done for him. Paul was talking about a mindset. He was talking about an attitude. He was talking about a habit. A habit. He was seeing forgiveness as a gift. Something that was given. Something that, something, you know, somebody said, I got a shout in my pocket tonight. Paul is seeing forgiveness as a gift that somebody has in their pocket that they give out. Kind of like some of you give around here candy to all those little kids that know exactly where they need to go. You know, kind of like Ed Kratz. Or Big Jim. Who does a little better because he does sugar-free. But nonetheless... Paul is seeing forgiveness as something that is a gift. Paul sees it as a habit. A habit to do what? A habit to keep all bitterness, all anger, all clamor, all ill will and malice and evil speaking away from you. How do you keep it away from you? You develop a habit of forgiveness. What is forgiveness? It's canceling the debt. It's canceling the debt. It's not something that we feel. It is not a feeling. It's a decision. Oh, I know what I'm talking about tonight. I'm right where I need to be because I've had some of you come to say, I just, these feelings. It's not a feeling. 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 It's a decision to cancel a debt. You don't owe me doesn't eliminate my feelings. I'll let the Holy Ghost deal with me and my heart and he'll work on all those things. But I just want you to know, you don't owe me anything. You you don't owe me a thing. You don't have to pay me. I canceled that debt. Because ultimately you can't pay what needs to be paid anyway. It can't be paid. Therefore, I'm going to wipe it away off the record completely and cancel it completely. Forgiveness is the canceling of a debt Forgiveness puts a dagger into the monster that says, what? You owe me, you owe me, you owe me. Forgiveness says, no, I don't owe you a thing. Because I have canceled a debt. Cancel. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. It's a decision. You have to kill it. I know this is kind of heavy on a Thursday night. How do you destroy the monster of anger? It's forgiveness. You hold harbor. Let it gain a root. Becomes bitterness. You'll hang on to stuff for years. So insignificant. I've got people in my own family. I just... Troubles me. Troubles me. Everything goes back to a certain time frame. Somebody owes. Somebody owes. Try to reason with them. You try to talk to them. You try to try to do everything that you can. You owe me, and everybody's gonna pay. I don't care if my kids. I don't care if the rest of my family's in turmoil. Everybody owes me. It's an ugly spirit that is a. It's a chimera of anger that just festers. It's become bitter. The solution is very, very simple. Why? And why do you want to live that way anyway? Are you happy? No, not happy. All it takes is Whatever they did, I'm going to cancel the debt because they couldn't pay 
me back what is owed anyway. I want to give you some instructions tonight in conclusion. You may think this is silly. You need to identify, first of all, with whom you are angry. You write it down. Second thing is you need to determine exactly what they owe. What do they owe? What is it they owe? You owe me the loss of whatever. They may not even be alive. They may be dead and gone and you're still you're still harboring something expecting them to pay something that they're not even around to pay for it but it's still there in your heart. It's still causing problems. I don't know, maybe sit down and have an imaginary conversation. You know what you took from me? You took from me. You robbed me of innocence. You robbed from me. You took from me livelihood. You took from me. You need to figure out exactly what was owed. And number three, you need to cancel the debt. Just cancel the debt. And number four, you need to dismiss the case. I don't write it all out on a piece of paper. I have somebody think this, that's so foolish. No, maybe not. Write it out on a piece of paper and then burn it. I'm canceling the debt. Take it out somewhere in the backyard and bury it. Shred it in a shredder. I don't know. And then dismiss the case. Forgiving someone doesn't erase our memories. If we could forgive and forget, it would be easy. Memories get triggered and old feelings come back. See, by Memories rise back and, and we try to we try to handle that by by either not thinking about it or 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 we take up the same old offenses again and we're right back in the same rut. Neither one of those things work. They're not successful. The thing that's successful is to face the storm and restate I identified with who I was angry, I determined what they owed, I canceled the debt and I dismissed the case. And although I'm feeling these same feelings, I'm going to restate, I dismissed the case. It's a decision to cancel. That truly forgiving does not mean truly forgetting. But I guarantee you, if this is the tactic that you take over time, you come to a whole new realization. Because forgiveness is canceling the debt. Is it wrong for me to want to be paid back? No. But reimbursement is impossible. It's impossible. Therefore, to put a dagger in a chimera of anger, all I have to do is cancel the debt and forgive. Oh, what Jesus Christ has done for us in displaying at Calvary. He took upon him every form of hurt and wrong, the betrayal of those closest to him, and he showed to us. And Paul said, that's what we're anchored to. We are anchored to even as God in Christ forgave us while we were yet sinners. He 
canceled our debt. He prayed and as it were, great drops of blood broke out. Onto, he took on the whole burden of what sin was, even though he knew no sin and said, I am going to cancel their debt. And Paul said, that is what we are anchored to. We are anchored to an understanding that like as he gave to us, we should give to others. It doesn't mean that he had great feelings of, of great expectation and happiness and joy going to Calvary. No, 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 no. There was much more to dragging that old rugged cross up to Calvary's Golgotha's hill. But there was something in him that said, I'm not going to let feelings back me out of this. I'm not going to let emotion remove me from what I've set my face to do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to Calvary. I'm going to give my life because there's somebody that needs a debt canceled. There's somebody that's been strung out. There's somebody in prison. There's somebody that's been addicted. There's somebody that's been hurt. There's somebody that has been immersed in sin. And I refuse by my emotion to let that work against them. I'm going to cancel their debt. And when he said it is finished... He gave to every one of us the opportunity to stand in the house of God with our hands uplifted and say, Lord, would you please cancel the debt that is against me? Come on, do you really want to harbor that? No, 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 no. You don't want to harbor that. It will destroy you. It will cause you to self-destruct. But if you can get an understanding in your heart that, Lord, I may not, I may not feel like it, but I'm, I'm going to cancel. I'm going to cancel that. I refuse to let this monster, this chimera of anger, rot me from the inside out. I know this makes you vulnerable, but some of you have already stepped out because it doesn't matter to you. But I wonder tonight if, 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 if you'd step out of a pew somewhere and say, you know what, there's some things, however small or however big, there's some things that I just need to cancel. I need to cancel that. It's not that my feelings, it's not, it's not that my feelings are what's important. It's about a conscious decision to say, God... I'm going to cancel the debt just as you have canceled the debt that could have so easily been stood up in front of me as evidence that says there's no way that you should ever have the right to forgive this person because of what they have done. He did it for you and he did it for me. Paul said that's the anchor that we're that's the anchor that we're plugged into. That's the anchor. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking and ill will toward other people be put off. How? Through forgiveness. It's forgiveness. <laughs> it's forgiveness that puts the dagger in the monster. It's the forgiveness. It's the canceling of the debt that frees me. Frees me. Frees me. Frees me. I want liberty. I want to be able to lift my I want to worship God. And I haven't been able to because of what's been in my heart. But, but when I cancel the debt... I, relief <laughs> a freedom that comes because I'm not carrying that anymore and I'm not underneath that burden anymore oh, I feel the deep move of the Holy Ghost tonight I know this was Bible study in mind and I, you may not have been expecting this at all but I believe that God's trying to talk to somebody and help somebody you don't have to carry that monster of guilt around. All you have to do is bring it to an altar of repentance. Nor, nor, nor do you have to walk under the, the weight of the monster of anger. No, there's an answer. There's an answer. It's called, it's called forgiveness. Oh, yes, I see.
a crimson streak of blood. Oh, Lamb of God, we worship you, we worship you as we lift our hands all over this sanctuary tonight. Hallelujah, we praise you. We're thankful tonight because of Calvary. We're thankful because of Calvary. It's waves which reach the throne of God. Oh, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. They are sweet. Come on, that's it, sir. That's it, ma'am. Go back, go back. Think about those things. Somebody owes you. Somebody owes you. They can't pay what they've done to you. They can't pay. There's no way of going back and recapturing what they've done. Oh, I feel the moving of the Holy Ghost. There's no way they can repay it back. Why don't you just say, you know what? I'm going to cancel the debt because I want to be free. I don't want to live under that weight. I don't want to live under that pressure. I don't want to live under that anxiety. Relationship with God, your church. I just look. Oh, I look. Away to I look to Jesus. Jesus. What does He say?
forgiveness is not a feeling, it is a decision. There is no re- reimbursement. It's impossible. When somebody's wronged you, there's no way they, there's, there's, I can't pay that back. All it takes is a canceling of the debt. Amen. Canceling of the debt. Praise God. Praise God. I want this to, I hope this sinks in, resonates. Hallelujah. We all have situations in our life and circumstances that we have every reason. We could build a case. We could become a victim. But you know what? God says if you become a victim, you'll harbor that and it will destroy you. Mm, But in the house of God, there's an answer. There's an answer. I want us to lift our hands and thank the Lord tonight that He has given to us His Word. Hallelujah. His power and His ability. To lift your voice tonight, God, we thank you and praise you. Hallelujah. You have given to us the opportunity, the wherewithal to free ourselves from that which would try so very difficult and hard to destroy us. Hallelujah. And we thank you. We thank you and worship you. We thank you that you provide a solution. You have given to us an example. You have provided us a way to separate and remove ourselves. You have not left us without a weapon. You have not left us defenseless. But you have given to us the ability to understand and know what it takes in the house of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To be more than conquerors. You said in your word, you're more than conquerors. We thank you and praise you and we worship you. Can we thank him tonight? Can we worship him? Lord, we thank you and praise you.